Broadsheet Radio Network. It's more than good. It's great. It is. Sometimes the finer details aren't, but this podcast is. Podcast you, is like great. Chef's kiss. Not everything we talk about is chef's kiss, though. Yes, but it is. Uh, it is a smooch on a chef just to see your face, Cass. <laughs> oh, I want to smooch your chef's face too. No, because that's. That's Justin. I won't do that. <laughs> he is my chef. He is. I literally, <laughs> moments ago, uh, and that, by that I mean um, shortly before recording, he texted me to come downstairs to eat. And he just said, come downstairs. And I texted him back, don't tell me what to do. And then immediately followed that up with, but please do love me and cook for me and feed me. Thank you. Uh, you're it's, so lucky. I have an in-house chef. Spoiled. <laughs> Dude, he would love it if I was like rich and could and he could just basically be like a stay-at-home dog dad. Like Okay, but he would like adore that's my dream. To be my stay-at-home dog daddy? I'll be whoever I Anyone. get a stay-at-home and dog daddy. Preferably my dog though. Um I just want to take her on hikes and adventures and not do anything else ever. <laughs> I've started referring to my dog's um, harness uh, as his adventure diaper, and I will never go back. Oh, I call Rooney's her sports bra. I love it. I love it. I used to call Boris his uh, Kevlar vest because his is like <laughs> a very like large structured thing. Because Italian greyhounds can get out of a lot. They're just, they're noodles. They're spindly. Yeah. Yeah. They're just spindly noodles. They're uncooked pasta. Uh, just and uh, they are brittle, like they are brittle, like uncooked well. pasta. But it's not saying. about our dogs, though it should be. Let's just it's have an episode where we just talk about our pets. Or... You know what, Natalie? I'm not gonna. T- I'm I'm gonna scrap my uh, my topic today. And right. no, you know I'm not because I'm very excited about it. Oh, okay. Yes. All right. Well, lay it on me. Bring me in. Let's where... dig in. Let's dive. Um, Let's all aboard the history machine. Do when are we? Where are we? Or do those rules not apply to this story? Those do, rules actually do apply for once. Ooh, I feel like I've always got a weird work around the when and where. Um, I'm here to bring you literature. Yes, I almost did a literature topic for today. Is I yours almost. from 1850 BCE in the Middle Kingdom of Egypt? No, but I love a good BCE. Right. I'm listening to a podcast right now where they say BC and AD, and I'm like, I'm a BCECE girl. That's what we are. That's what we always say. And you say. can be one too. You can be one too. You can BC. You can be a BCECE girl as well. <laughs> but I'm so excited because I love a ri- literature. I love a non-Western Eurocentric literature. Um, I'm taking you to Africa. I'm taking you to Egypt to tell you about the eloquent peasant. Have you ever heard of that story? 
No, but I love the like. I know that it. I don't know if it rhymes in the language. It's in the language it was originally written in, but I, or spoken in. Yes. If it was an oral of the oral tradition. So it uh, it was written down. Um, I don't know if it was oral first. Mm-hmm. That may have kind of been the case, but I think it was written down by a person. They don't know who the author is, and there's no complete manuscript of the story but there are several manuscripts which piece together give them the whole story (gasps) like a treasure hunt so yes so so i'll just kind of give you a breakdown of the story uh so the story is about a peasant named kun anup um he's poor he is he's got donkeys loaded up with goods that he's going to take to market to sell so that he can bring money and food back to his family and keep them going and then there is a landowner uh, named Nem Tanat. Now he sees Kunanup walking towards his fields or towards his land. And he's like, I'm going to be shifty and I'm going to try to swindle this guy. So he takes cloth and he puts them, puts it over the road um, so that the guy either has to go over the cloth, which like, why would he just go over the cloth? Um, to the right is a river and to the left are Nemtanak's fields. So if he doesn't want to go over the cloth, he either has to go into the water or into these fields. And so he goes into the field. And while he's in there, his donkey eats. Right? Also, like, go over the fucking cloth. I don't know. Maybe it would have ruined his wagon, whatever. So while he's crossing into the field for, like, a second, his donkey eats some barley and Nemtanak uses that as his excuse to be like, give me all your shit. You ate my barley. Now I'm going to take all of your goods. It's legal. I can do this. And Kunanup is like, what? That's not That's not fair. That's not cool. And he starts like pleading his case. And then Nemtanak just like beats the shit out of him. This and, is like, like Florida logic. yes yes this all of this reads like an article that would be like florida man skirts cloth gets his ass kicked because his donkey ate some barley or but it would be like an it would be a gator or like a pet exotic snake well i mean that would work in egypt or florida actually apparently that's the law uh and you know like fuck really like the inundation and the marshes like Depending upon where we're in the Nile Valley, we might be in Middle Kingdom Egypt version of Florida. Who knows? We don't know. We don't know is the thing. So. Shady shit. We're in Egyptian Florida. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> don't do that to the people of Egypt. <laughs> they don't so need sorry. that. You are a proud and noble people. I am so sorry. Um, so at the time, I mean, obviously, there's the pharaoh. And then uh, it's a feudal society. So there are governors, lords, whatever, and then on all of their property, they have these landowners that, you know, give homage or taxes to them or whatever. So Nemtanakt is a landowner, but he's got a guy ahead of him. He's a vassal of this gentleman called Remzi. Renzi, excuse me. So Kunanup is like, Nemtanakt is obviously, like, not being cool, not being chill. I'm going to go to Renzi the higher up and be like, hey, this wasn't cool. 
So he goes to Renzi. He tells him, hey, this happened. Nemtunak, like, screwed me over. He beat the shit out of me. I just want my stuff back. And Renzi was like, oh, I mean, that sounds legit. Yeah. And he brings it to the local magistrate. He's, like, trying to do the right thing. And the magistrate's like, it's just some peasant. It sounds like it's just a minor dispute between a landowner and a peasant. So I'm not going to hear this. Renzi's like, nah, guys, that's not cool. So he takes this story to the pharaoh. And he's like, okay, pharaoh, here's what's up. Are you chill, pharaoh? Because magistrate, not chill. Renzi, super chill. Super dope. The pharaoh in the story is Nebkauri. They think it's Nebkauri Keti. I don't know who that is. But I think they mention an actual... Um, monarch at the time so that's why they have the time era period of mm-hmm. when it was written or when the story came about as opposed to when it was mm-hmm. written okay sorry so I'm in it Renzi goes to the pharaoh and instead of pleading his case he's like pharaoh there's this very eloquent peasant the pharaoh's intrigued because I mean education at the time like no one was educated let alone peasants so the he was kind of Renzi was telling the pharaoh some of the stuff he was saying and these like philosophical arguments and like interesting points he was making. And the Pharaoh's like, whoa, that shit's deep. Renzi's like, oh, I know, right? So Pharaoh tells to Renzi, he says, go back and draw this out. Like, don't give him his stuff back, but don't turn him away. Let's hear him keep pleading his case and see what other shit he's got to say. So for 10 days, Renzi is like telling this guy like, no, I can't really, I can't, I can't do anything. He's just like stonewalling him, not giving him anything. And uh, Kunanup keeps like going and going and going. And each day Kunanup is like, I will die on this hill. Yeah. And, and Renzi goes back to the pharaoh and, like, tells him all this stuff. And he's like, whoa, that's awesome. Like, keep going. Until Kununup is finally like, I'm going to kill myself. And he's like, I can't bring food back to my family. And yeah, da, 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 might as well just die. And Renzi's like, no, 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 no. Hold up, hold up. And the pharaoh then grants him not only his stuff back, but Nemtanakt, the guy who screwed him over initially, has to sell all of his stuff to give to Kununup. So now Nemtanakt is poorer than Kununup was initially, and Kununup now like owns all of those lands and everything. I love that. Isn't that a great story? That's amazing. So the point of the story is like this narrative, this moral story of justice. They have a goddess and this like concept called Mat, M-A apostrophe A-T, which means justice, righteousness, it has that kind of connotation. So in legal terms, but also just in kind of like cosmic terms, it's kind of like a karma thing or um, yin and yang of just like do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I think it, people think it may have actually been written down by a person and not just retold and told is because the sections of dialogue from Kunanup, which are is quite a lot. Well, yeah, because um, the whole point was to keep him talking. Yeah. Um, all of that is done in poetry form. Um, it's in oh. a 
it's poetry and then the rest is prose. It's meant more as like meditations and thought provoking. Like that's the point of the narrative. So similar to A Thousand One Nights, uh, they're they're drawing out the story. It's very intriguing, compelling. Um, but the purpose of A Thousand One Nights was storytelling. And this one is very like philosophically based. Mm-hmm. Mott is the balance of justice and harmony. So it's that idea of justice as a tangible thing and then exploding it up to a philosophical idea. So it is just a lot of speeches, a lot of uh, Kununuk just like talking, talking, talking. And the reason they think it was written down, it was made for an educated class. A peasant Mm -hmm. in real life would not have been able to speak like this um, without the education and like highbrow stuff you'd be learning. Um, it was written in verse, uh, the speeches. And while it was a moral tale about, you know, like do the right thing or you get your come up, comeuppances, uh, it really is kind of a let's what does the world mean? What is what is yeah, justice? it does very much feel like somebody had a lot of philosophical ideas mm-hmm. and was like and tried to like write just a collection of their theories and their philosophies and yeah. everyone was like I don't want to fucking read that and they're like fine I'm gonna put it in a story Ooh, I'll frame put a, a narrative put a loot in the background yes I'll frame a narrative around it but still it'll just be like beautiful like it feels like it feels like it was like somebody tried to write a philosophy book and everyone was like, absolutely not. And so they said, fine, what if I write the philosophy book in verse? And everyone was like, eh, still pass. And he's like, okay, what if it's in verse, but it's also in a narrative that is framed up so that there's a clear beginning, middle, and end tying all of my philosophies together? And then everyone said, shut up and take you've, my money. You've got me on the hook. Uh-huh. Okay, what if the main character is a peasant and should be stupid but is smart? Twist. Now let's take my money. What a twist. Brilliant. <laughs> um, yeah, I just thought it was great. I, I don't know about any Egyptian literature. I really don't know any Egyptian stories other than the deities and their fables associated mm-hmm. with them. And not even much of that. Like, I know a lot of the gods, but I don't know their, like, stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I found out about this, I was like, What? I was reading it in a book called The Sea and Civilization, which is basically a history of the world with the lens of maritime creation exploration. And they're in Egypt. They're talking about how they got the obelisks on barges. And then they mention the story, the eloquent peasant and like move on. I'm like, excuse me, what? Can we circle back? And I did. Thank you, Google. This episode brought to you by Google. Ooh. Honestly, every episode brought to you by Google. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so that, the story of Sinui, which is kind of a, um, like, more of like a prodigal son kind of situation. And then there is a, uh, like, a pirate adventure story Ooh. are the three most famous ancient written Egyptian stories. And didn't know anything about them, found out about them, and I'm like, dope. 
and I'm just imagining Evie from The Mummy, like, sitting and just re- reading ancient heretic and hieroglyphics while she's putting Tuthmosis away before all of the library shelves fall down. Of course. Naturally. Thank you for understanding. And while you're thinking of uh, Rachel Weiss, Mm. um, as we are always, all always thinking of Rachel I was like, I was already doing it. Yeah. If they were to adapt the story of the eloquent peasant. (sighs) Oh. Who are you you casting as? I feel like bare minimum, you got to, you got to cast your, I was going to say like your pro tag and your antag, but you have to cast, uh. There's only three characters. You have to cast no. You have to cast Ramsay the Pharaoh as well. The Pharaoh. Well, yeah. So Kunanup yeah. Oh, I guess that's four. Yeah. Okay. All right. I did a Google. We cut the dead air. Here's my final answer. For Kunanup, I got to give Natalie credit for this, but Sendil Ramamurthy, Gorge. I mean, looks aren't the most important thing. No, but, but he he's was so in, handsome. He was in Heroes, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. He's in Heroes. He's gonna be Kunanoop. He's gonna be great. Um, for Nemtanat, the asshole, F. Murray Abraham, who, if you Google him, you'd recognize him. And I always thought he was like British, but he's Assyrian and it's Assyrian American. I think he's just got a very fancy old man accent. F. Oh, Murray Abraham. Oh, yes. 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 This guy. Yep. Um, Love him in Mythic Quest. Yes. For Renzi, the landowner who, like, tried to help out, whatever. Hayam Abbas, who's an actress, but, like, hey, I don't care. She was in The Visitor. She was in Blade Runner. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, she was she's Marsha in Succession. Mm-hmm. The wife. Yeah. So I think she'd be great. And then... As the pharaoh, can I pick someone dead? You can absolutely pick somebody dead. Omar Sharif. Oh, yes. Ooh, man, man, Omar Sharif. For sure. This is fantastic. Everyone go listen to the band's visit. Amazing yeah. Broadway show. But yes, I think that's phenomenal casting. I would go see that movie that's right now. That's amazing casting. Thank you, Natalie. Um... Thank you so much for taking us on this journey. Let's, hey, Nat, what if we hop back in the bus? Uh, absolutely. In the, in the history machine. Get in my drug van. <laughs> I meant the history machine. No, the history machine is, is a, it's a drug van. Yeah, it's hey. probably got a, it's got a shag carpet I've, for I've sure. I've time traveled a time or two, if you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I've time jumped every now and then. Um, I want to take you... I want to take you to a lot of places at a lot of times. Okay. Um, but, you know, similar to in your story, I want to take you to court. Take yes. me to court. <laughs> I love that version. By I love that, that, that remix of a Hozier song. Thank you um, so much. I want to take you, though, more specifically to a royal court. Oh, would you please help me set the stage? Like what characters and and hijinks and shenanigans are are ubiquitous to you in the depictions of let's let's say like Western royal courts like 
you okay. got jesters. I, that's the first one I was going to say. You got the jesters. You've got the royalty, so like kings, queens, mm-hmm. princes. You've got all the courtiers who are trying oh, to get yeah. the king's ears. You've got a lot of gossip. intrigue. Intrigue. Gossip. You've got a lot of like like nun, Shakespeare nun characters mm-hmm. who are just kind of like frittin' and frettin'. Uh, yeah. I want to hone in on the intrigue because I <gasps> think too. that a ubiquitous character in in a depiction of a royal court, though maybe in the background, is like the person who has to taste the king or queen's <gasps> food, right? Yeah. The person whose job it is to taste the food and then they like watch and like see if they drop dead and then they're like, no, you're alive. Okay, I can enjoy some mutton. Cool, cool, cool. Okay, for some reason, whenever someone at the court died, everyone thought they had, just assumed they had been poisoned. It didn't matter if they died, like, a very slow death. They, everyone would just be like, I don't know, somebody poisoned them. And sometimes <laughs> they had been. I'm thinking of uh, Nicholas Holt in The Great. When Catherine the Great poisons him and he just gets the shits for like 48 hours. Um, (laughs) So, yes, sometimes poisonings. And so many famous people from from history and from like and even it's common in like spy fiction and historical dramas, especially people in power. A lot of have been poisoned. Yes. Lots of secret poisoning. Allegedly. Mm, well, you can actually yes. look up a list of poisonings on Wikipedia, and they're sorted by fatal, non-fatal, and the largest list of the three, alleged. <laughs> I believe it. I feel like in every medieval or courty or whatever, it's like there's always a cup of poison in it somewhere. It's like, okay, yeah. How often is it really happening? I feel like a like a goblet of uh, or a chalice of poison is like mm-hmm. the Chekhov's gun of court life. Oh shit! There's a cup. <laughs> Ooh! It has a ruby on it. Chaucer's cup. <laughs> Chaucer's cup. So poison has been around for ages. Yeah. Um, ancient civilizations used it as a hunting tool. Those the herbal poisons were like the first ones, obviously discovered. And it was used more from a utilitarian perspective and less from like a vengeance and drama and intrigue perspective of just Mm. quickening or ensuring the death of their prey, whether they like struck a critical organ or not. Also, like lots of then poison kind of developed into from, you know, we went from killing animals using poison to killing each other using poison. But in the grand scheme of like warfare, like ancient India, for example, uh, did a lot of like there was a surgeon in ancient India who like had a deep study of various poisons and the amounts of them to use for different things. So as time goes on, poisons become more sophisticated and precise. And yes, there are famous poisonings that we pretty much know happened because like there's a written record of it. Like Plato writes that Socrates was sentenced to drink hemlock and kill himself like mm-hmm. it was uh, suicide by the justice system. Um, Cleopatra 
famously probably committed suicide by poisoning. That was with an asp. Uh, also, fun fact, Egyptians were... It's thought that Egyptians were the first, just to bring it back to Egypt, y'all. Hey. Um, it's thought that Egyptians were the first to come into knowledge of like many poisonous mineral elements. So though Cleopatra used an animal, because there's like three ways you can be poisoned, um, mineral, animal, mineral, and vegetable or yeah. herbal, if you will. So it is thought that Egyptians were the first to come into knowledge of many poisonous mineral elements, like, for example, crude arsenic and lead, that they well, were the first ones. And they were so resource rich, too, that they had literally everything at their exposure. It makes sense that they would yeah. do that first. Yeah. You, you win, Egypt. You win the poison game. We get it, Egypt. You're good at poisonings <laughs> uh, and stories. But... I feel like in my brain, you say, um, you say like poisonings of people in power. And I'm thinking Renaissance, Middle Ages, like court life, Western court life, or I'm mm -hmm. thinking the Roman Empire. Because, for example, like Cicero's court speeches actually are another confirmed thing of we know that there were a lot of poisonings because in his court speeches, he mentions a high incidence of murder by poison in the first century. I, yeah, I'm listening to a podcast on the history of Rome. A lot of like poison attempts, a lot of forced suicide. Yes. And, and lots of, we think it was poison. Like we, like we think like Alexander the Great thought Hephaestion was poisoned. I'm like mixing time periods, but didn't Diocletian have his death party and everyone thought there was going to be poison in it? Everybody expects poison in yes. the Roman Empire. I'm never drinking anything ever again. Never. Not. It's not coming to your house. I feel like your death the, party. The, the Roman Empire is especially where we link poison and assassination. Yeah. Especially when it comes to poisoning meals. But apparently it happened or allegedly happened quite frequently uh, across all social classes as a way to dispose of unwanted rivals. You know, when we weren't stabbing Caesar, we were poisoning each other. Yes. I mean, Nero Nero was poisoning. Nero poisoned his family members that he didn't like like crazy. Yeah. He was just throwing poison around. But I don't want to talk about Rome. I just wanted to give like a little bit of like where the, the suspicions came from. Mm -hmm. Cass, we have to take an ad break. Fair enough. We're a history podcast, so we have to infuse this interlude with some tasty, tasty facts. Okay. Oh, tasty facts. Like brewing beer using hops became a standard practice as a result of early drug laws in Bohemia. Ah, yes. The Reinheitsgebot Law of 1560. I remember it well. Now that hops are no longer a legally required ingredient in beer, welcome to the future, our friends at Herbiary have taken it upon themselves to release your taste buds from the cages of convention. They've experimented with over 200 different herbs and botanicals, building on the rich tradition and fermented folklore of hop-free brewing. Learn more about their delicious section of brews and where to find them at herbiary.com. So, herbal and mineral poisons are the most stu well studied and the most used, particularly in homicide situations. See, for example, lead, mercury, arsenic, hemlock, Mushrooms. The ancients apparently had a really hard time distinguishing between edible and toxic mushrooms. Um, 
Claudius, for example, died after eating a poison mushroom. Although I don't know <laughs> if it was just that he accidentally ate a poison mushroom or somebody gave him a poison mushroom. But while we know what poisons they knew, historians rarely mention specific poisons when mentioning incidents other than, like I said, like the hemlock and Nero's mm. poison of choice was cyanide. So it would seem, this is all just to say, it would seem reasonable for Western royals in, say, the Middle Ages or Renaissance to be on high alert for poisonings. Yeah. Feels reasonable. Right. So the royals went to great lengths to confirm that their food or anything that touched their inside and outside of their bodies was safe. Mm-hmm. I just want to dig in to some of those things and then and then more. Um, for like unicorn horns, for example, were allegedly able to render poisons harmless upon contact and would like sweat and tremble like the horn would if poison was nearby. Okay, so where are we finding these unicorn horns? Because I won't. I'm so glad you asked because obviously <laughs> a unicorn horn, very rare, very so expensive rare. and very real, not real. hard to come by. Oh. No, no, no. Not real. Just very not real. The unicorn horns were actually the tusks of narwhals, but narwhals hadn't officially been discovered yet. So everyone, they just, they just thought that narwhals kept like going to like northern beaches to, or that unicorns would die on northern beaches. Oh, okay. Real talk. Taylor did not know narwhals were real. I feel like that's not super uncommon. But yeah. Like, come on. I mean, you you spend your whole life being told that unicorns aren't real. And then the first time, like, all of a sudden, narwhals are trendy. And the first time you see one, you're like, that can't exist. I had an alphabet animal book as a kid. So I was, I was exposed to narwhals very young in life. I was exposed to narwhals at a young age. I'm an early <laughs> narwhal adopter. I knew about narwhals before they were cool. It's just how I was raised. Yeah. Um, yeah, so they would take narwhal horns and they would, uh, uh, the tusks, and wave them over food uh, to see if they trembled or sweat, and they would stab them into food before it was consumed. Turkey's and done. Turkey's done. The narwhal says, you're good to go. But there were, like I said, food testers and mm. plate lickers. But there was also clothes testers, I, uh, pillow kissers, if you will, and chamber pot testers. Henry the third, nope, Henry the eighth had a gentleman of the bedchamber, Ooh. and this particular servant's job was to kiss every part of his pillows and sheets um, that they had touched when they were making his bed to prove that they had not smeared a tactile poison on them. Oh. Um, he also had his son's chamber pot, since Edward VI's chamber pot was tested before he used it. Uh, I read a hilarious uh, article, a, a really interesting article on JSTOR that was like, we don't know how they were testing it, presumably just putting their bare ass on it and then watching and seeing if their ass got like inflamed. So Okay, so we were testing to see if it was, yeah, like poison, not like someone put a snake in there. Yeah, like a transfer, like a like a uh, topical okay. uh, I'm like, poison. What? Okay. Yeah. And then also in 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 the 1560s, uh, Elizabeth I's ladies-in-waiting, like all of her clothes would be like closely guarded, tested, and examined before she could wear them. Yeah. Because in Elizabeth, the movie, one of her... Ladies in waiting gets burnt by 
a dress yeah, it's like or a something. corset or something, right? It's yeah, like, yeah. So, like, however, like the unicorn horns, most poisonings weren't real. In actuality, very few poisonings. Poison was rarely actually on the menu during, <laughs> dur like, in the royal court. And historically, in most cases of a suspected poison, the victim had unwittingly poisoned themselves. <laughs> I think a lot of people, like, I, I feel like it's more common knowledge that, for example, um, they used to think that tomatoes were poison. They didn't have, like, Europe didn't have tomatoes. Italy yeah. didn't have tomatoes uh, until... I think Columbus came over here and fucked around and found out. And the tomatoes, the like acid in the tomatoes would leach the lead that was in their plates out of the plate. And so they would be getting lead poisoning oh. from their plates, not from the tomatoes, but they, they thought tomatoes were poison for this reason. And so there's a lot of kind of these like chemical reaction things happening. Science. In the, in the simplest sense, if you think about the fact that I just said that they're, they have servants like licking, kissing, and touching all of their things, including things that then they're going to lick, kiss, and touch, and ingest, the testers are contaminating them, probably. Like, yeah. simplest sense. You, a servant, somebody of, like, the feudal class or, like, of the lower class who doesn't have... I mean, nobody really had access to good medicine. We'll get into that later on. Like, licked a plate, and now I'm eating off that plate. Or you licked my cup, and now I'm drinking out of that cup. Like, we're Got just germs. coating things in germs. <laughs> Regardless of the class system, we're all just germing each other. But also, just, you know, I feel like a lot of these are probably known, but the trends and way of life was poisoning them. Trying to be in vogue was poisoning them. Noble ladies wore white makeup, rouge, lipstick, and powder. The white All lead-based? Yeah, most lead-based, yeah. The, the white makeup made from mercury, lead, vinegar, and a pinch of arsenic. <laughs> the rouge and lipstick was made of uh, powdered cinnabar, which contains mercury. And the powder was literally arsenic face powder. So they're just putting lead and arsenic all over themselves. Um, and we know this because we have like recipe books of homemade cosmetics from like the 16th century and whatnot. And they all have things in them that you're like, what? What are you doing? There was, it was encouraged, it was encouraged in these recipe books to wash one's face with urine or to dry up blemish, blemishes with ox dung. Also, medically speaking, I said the thing about like not having access to good anything like proper medicine. Shit was used for everything. <laughs> Kidney stones, eat some shit. Bladder infections, eat some shit. Constipation, eat rat droppings. It'll flush you right out. Uh, open wounds, rub some shit on it. And this is like human shit. This is ox shit. Respiratory issues, I don't know. Snort some shit. I don't know. But everything was like pig shit that, ox shit that human shit that, rat shit that. Another recipe uh, is, is a face mask, and, the, and it is, uh, please don't try this recipe at home. This is not for a self-care Saturday. <laughs> um, it's a face mask of mercury, eggs, vinegar, and turpentine, 
mixed in a lead dish, <laughs> which is a similar situation with the tomato, where, where that combination of ingredients will, like, leach the lead out of the dish. So now lead's in it, too. Added to onion, quicksilver, and lemons. Quicksilver? Yes. <laughs> We're really what? doubling down. And quicksilver was used for so much stuff. But, and this mask was uh, advised to be worn for eight days. Um, now I, I any, this... like, facial mask is like, take it off immediately after three and a half minutes. And I'm like, oh, my God, get it off. What, like, if it is dry, remove it. If it's get been it on for three and a half minutes, remove it. If you tingling, remove it. If it smells like it's made mostly of ox shit, don't put it on your face in the first place. And back then, they're like, if it's not burning, then it's not working. <laughs> yes. And I think this is another fairly well-known poison story, but I'll tell it anyway. Because uh, there was, like, a development in our in our lifetime. Uh, Henri II of France had a mistress who was 19 years older than him, Diane de Poitiers. And she would drink a potion of liquid gold to preserve her youth. And that's literally how she died. So she just poisoned herself to death because the reason for doing it was like gold kills red blood cells. I mean, it also like would ingesting, it's going to destroy your kidneys and, and whatnot. But if you destroy red blood cells, you look pale and being as pale as fucking possible was all the fashion. That's why they're putting lead paint on their faces in the first place. Oh my God. I would have crushed so in the Middle Ages. pale. Yes. So pale. According to uh, one of the, like, the recipe books, you were supposed to like drink the gold once a month. But Diane uh, drank it daily. And so she Fish. died. And then in 2008, uh, they, they found that underneath her body in the ground, the ground was like rich with gold because it was like seeping from her body as she was decomposing. Okay, that's kind of because awesome. like she was decomposing, but the gold wasn't. So, oh, gross! It gives and a whole weird. new meaning to gold digger. <laughs> also, I mean, she did kind of get perpetual youth if she died young. Yeah, I guess that's one way to do it. <laughs> also, people thought that a good bath was fatal. Uh, clogged pores were like super cool because they kept venomous air from entering your body and infecting your blood, according to a 1532 medical advice book. Oh. Because nobody's taking baths, unsurprisingly, everyone has lice all the time, and you would treat the lice with arsenic cream or like, or with a, pl a plate of lead rubbed and whitened with quicksilver. So that's two poisons. It's a two for one poison special. It's like it's like the uh, shampoo and conditioner in one, but for poison. Yeah. But for poisoning yourself to get rid of your lice. I mean, look, the lice will die, but so will you. <laughs> there was a problem was that they kept using poison to treat bacterial infections and it would work, but it would also kill the person. Uh, Mission accomplished. Killed it, literally. Killed it. Uh, they used mercury ointment to heal syphilis. They used quicksilver uh, for laxatives, something that I think actually they first discovered they could do in like Imperial Asia. Um, if you're squeamish about uh, meat eating of a particular kind, this is your warning. Medical cannibalism was very popular until about 1700. What? What does that mean? Let me explain the very well thought out science. <laughs> 
if you died young, like, and suddenly, like you were in an accident or you were executed for a crime, the belief was that your body still has a life force in it. So your, it, cause it wasn't your time to go. You did not expire. Um, so doctors would prescribe folks eat different, like different parts of the human body of these people. So like morgues and executioners and whatnot would sell body parts of like young victims to apothecaries who would use them in recipes. Like there was a potion that included an entire adult brain that was used. It had other things in it too, like lavender, probably to take the edge off of the entire (laughs) adult brain uh, that was used to cure epilepsy. Those who suffered, I loved this one. Those who suffered from hemorrhoids were told to stroke them with the amputated hand of a dead man. Oh, oh, oh. And human fat was used in a lot of like elixirs and whatnot to treat uh, consumption, rheumatism, and gout, which are three things that a lot of rich, well, especially gout, a lot of rich folks had this. Um, Oh, and what's funny is that like royals never taste tested their medicines. Like they didn't have a taster, like a poison detector taster or whatever, touch their medicines, just their food. They would take whatever the doctor gave them. Oh God. So if you really wanted to poison them, if you wanted to like murder them by poisoning them and not just let them do it themselves slowly, um, give you them medicine. You could have easily poisoned them by getting to their doctor and slipping something in with their medicine. Though, admittedly, their doctor was already kind of doing it for you. <laughs> oh, sometimes you just say something that is so on brand for you. What do you mean? You know, like, you have a brand, the way you look and communicate, what you place value in, all of that. That's your brand. Just typical you being you. How do you know so much about brands? Oh, well, I've worked with Bates Marone Sweet Design. Who? Bates Marone. They're a boutique branding, marketing, and web design agency based in Chicago, and they've got great strategists, designers, and copywriters who all work together to make brands better. Well, how do they do that? They combine research and storytelling. They find out why a brand is the way it is, and then they bundle that up in a nice little package for businesses to take with them and use going forward. Dang, that sounds great. Mm -hmm. Are they just for huge corporations, though? Oh, not at all. They have experience with all sorts of clients, from startups to Fortune 500 companies. Oh, wow, nice. Yeah. If you want to see some of their past client work, learn more about their processes, see what it takes to join the team, or if you're ready to schedule a meeting, go to their website, BatesMarone.com. B-A-T-E-S-M-E-R-O-N.com. Awesome. I can't wait to learn more. Natalie, now Mm. that we know this, I feel like we should go back in time and be medieval assassins. Because, like, this sounds pretty easy. Right? Everyone's killing themselves. Somebody just needs to collect on the, (laughs) just, they just need to take credit and collect on, like, whatever bounty. Yeah. You guys are poisoning the wrong things. Or apparently not at all. (laughs) Right? Uh, You're poisoning yourselves. Also, the fun thing about not bathing is that, like, we mentioned the lead uh, like the lead and, and uh, arsenic and whatnot in makeup. But obviously, like, we've been dealing with lead paint up through our parents' lifetimes. Um, 
these people lived in in filth and they lived surrounded by poison. Paints were made with mercury or arsenic or lead. Uh, there's a, if you ever see like a saw like a green paint like that color was only basically gotten by using a shitload of arsenic that just evaporated into the air in the room. Like it just bled into the room. Um, and then they also lived in like literal filth. I tell you guys all the time. I say, let's go back to the Renaissance. Let's go back to the Middle Ages. Like there's just shit everywhere. Just <laughs> dirt and shit everywhere. These people, even if you were filthy rich, you were literally you were filthy. filthy. <laughs> yes. Palaces were crawling with bacterial infections and parasites. Chamber pots were like filled to the brim and just hanging out in like every room. There was literal shit everywhere because a lot of courtiers couldn't be bothered to find a chamber pot every time they had to go. So they would just like drop breaches and shit on the stairs. Like they didn't, that's, oh, that's, they didn't care. <laughs> this was the way things were. You know, everyone's like, oh, pigs are gross, a pig sty. Pigs are one of the cleanest animals and they do not shit anywhere near where they eat, sleep, live. I know this because I worked on a living history farms, but mm -hmm. these people like that's just most. Oh, my God. Most animals will not poop anywhere near where they live, eat all of that. And yeah. they were just dirty, little, shitty animal shitters. I don't know. We're that's... dirty, little, grubby shit, shit eaters and shit takers. Oh, God. And we think that we're better than the dinosaurs? <laughs> <laughs> guys, guys, we're not. An asteroid hasn't taken us out yet because we're doing it. Our, we're very good at accomplishing it ourselves. This is why Natalie and I aren't going back in time to assassinate people. They're doing it themselves. This is why They're the asteroid isn't doing it. We're doing it ourselves. And also we would both immediately be accused of witchcraft because I would bring antibiotics. <laughs> For myself. <laughs> well, and what, what what's funny is that as I was researching uh, these, like, poison in the royal court, even with modern medicine, like, poison paranoia is still sort of like a court tradition. There was a, um, there's a couple of articles, and when I say articles, I mean clickbait, tabloid, rag bullshit, uh, about Elizabeth II's um, poison avoidance protocol. They came out in, like, 2019. And it's very, it's an, it's a quote unquote article and it's very simple. It's like, wow, you won't believe what Elizabeth, what Queen Elizabeth does to avoid being poisoned. You want to know what she does? Yeah. No one knows what the plate, there isn't a designated like plate for her. So nobody knows what the plate is going to be. It's just the simple thing of having a random page choose a random plate before every meal. And then, so you Trickery. couldn't, and even the like chefs don't, I don't think even the chefs don't know when they're plating things, when they're plating things, which plate was chosen. There's like a code to inform the Royal chefs what meals should go on what plate. So she can make sure that she gets what she ordered. Poison is so fun. It's so interesting and mysterious. And it's like, when you think of it in like, movies or story there's so much tension and apprehension or complete surprise like when you're watching a movie it's like there's poison who's it gonna end up in front of or it's like oh we're having a nice meal and then so and so's foaming at the mouth 
I can mm-hmm. see how it really intrigues and gets in the mind of people and why people would think like there's a lot more poisoning than we really than yeah. is actually really happening. And also that there is a lot more poisoning like that we th- I I just feel like you think assassination by poisoning and you think of like the Middle Ages and like Renaissance like Europe. I think of like yeah, like a, a ruby laden golden goblet. Yeah, but the problem is that you're drinking gold, not that the cup is gold and there's poison in it. The problem is that there's gold in the cup, not poison in the cup. Where, Yeah, whereas, like, actually, like, yes, it is based in a historical reality of there, of there being rampant poisonings of government officials and people in power, but in the Roman Empire, not so yeah. much, like, not so much in the more modern history of renaissance europe yeah like and every like spy movie has a poisoning or something it's like and again like yeah it is true that like spies had cyanide capsules like that some militaries did that there's but they uh, use them on themselves usually yes or they could force somebody else to 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 take it but that's true like that is like that is based in fact it's just it is fascinating to me that the royals had, the, like, European royals at this time had the most convoluted, they had just people on the payroll whose job it was to make sure that they didn't get poisoned, and yet a lot of them died from being poisoned, but it was shit that they were doing to, like, look hot. Yeah, I feel like I would be more worried about, like, I don't know, getting stabbed or... You know, all of the other Machiavellian things yeah. courtiers would do. So I just wanted to talk about poison. I It's been a minute since I've done like a really like nonlinear kind of loosey-goosey topic. And I, just I love like, a loosey How do I talk about poison for a while? Poison! The, poison! The, the, the. Um, Cass. Yes. Bringing it back to the, to the ancient times and mm-hmm. whatnot. Um, the shopping mall is generally credited to Victor Gruen, but actually Polydorus of Damascus should be credited with the, with the, with the invention of the shopping mall because of the market and the Trajan Forum that were his design. So much like history is full of bullshit discoveries. What if, have you discovered something recently? I have a discovery that I discovered myself um so Rooney and I have been going on a lot of hikes out in I mean wherever you can hike in Iowa it's not a lot of hiking, the mountains of Iowa the mountains of Iowa but we'll go out we'll go to like the river and tramp around and she's been jumping in the water a lot lately which is super fun and adorable until she's like in a current and I'm like get back here so I need to get her a life jacket and I discovered life jackets that had shark fins on them. And I think I need to get one. This but is the most important discovery of our time. Of our age. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's kind of like a serious swimmer. And so I don't, I think maybe we go over, we focus on substance over style. Because I don't know how good they work. Yeah. And you don't want to embarrass her in front of her fish friends. No. You also don't want them to, the fish friends to think that she's a predator. Well, she is. Maybe we should. <laughs> well, maybe maybe we should give them a warning. She jumped 
in a pond to chase after a duck and almost got the duck. And I screamed at her. So she reluctantly turned around and could not get out because there was like kind of a ledge. So I had to jump in this pond to get oh, her. Rooney girl. Rooney girl. You precious angel. That's my discovery. What have you discovered, Natalie? My discovery is also gear related and hobby related. Um, I, as, as listeners might know, I'm a big fan of the boom, boom, punch kick, also known as uh, kickboxing <laughs> and Muay Thai. And there's a brand called KO Studio that makes boxing gear specifically for women because a lot of, if you try to search like women's boxing glove or women's boxing gloves, you're just going to find the same shit just pink like it's did, just pink washed did they do the, the and they're all and ugly they don't even shrink it it's they just pink it yeah and it's it's and it's all like bad pink it's yeah. all bad design i will say honestly as a rule a problem that i've been having is my gym now um we have like a uniform that we have that we have to wear and it involves wearing just like any actual proper uh muay thai shorts and they're all so gaudy. There's yeah. a lot going on on all of them. And there's always like writing in tie across the crotch or like something huge right in your ass crack in the design. <laughs> and KO Studio not only makes beautiful shorts, uh, beautiful, beautiful boxing shorts that are made for a woman so they will fit correctly. And they're simple. <laughs> they're just like solid colors. But they make gloves that are the the glove, like the mid of the glove is like smaller. It's more formed for like the size, the average size of women's hands. And my favorite thing, as a actual doctor once actually diagnosed me as having quote sloppy wrists, <laughs> uh, they're. When you when you wrap your hands, when you uh, you can kind of there's a bunch of different ways that you can wrap your hands, and I wrap it a way that favors wrist support mm. versus wrapping in a way that like super pads my knuckles because I'm not like beating the pulp out of somebody. Also, I'm wearing yet. gloves yet, but also <laughs> like the gloves allow you a decent yeah. amount of protection, and so, and the Ko Studios gloves they support your wrists so fucking well. Like, I keep accidentally putting them on too tight and then, like, losing feeling in, like, my thumb uh, <laughs> because because they they strap in two different directions. And this is a lot of details that you don't need. Also, they're hand wraps. They make hand wraps that are gorgeous. I have hand wraps that are designed like uh, uh, Starry Night by Vincent Van Gogh. They're Ooh. beautiful. Yeah, they have, like, Matisse hand wraps. They have, like, Zodiac-inspired hand wraps. They're gorgeous and I finally I've had hand wraps from them for a while but I finally I needed to replace my gloves anyway and so I uh I was about to say I got myself my husband got me for my birthday I got them for myself and said this is from you for my birthday uh <laughs> bought myself a pair of a new pair of boxing gloves he had bought me for my birthday present like years ago my first pair of boxing gloves so he's like great replace them I think I saw you. Did you post something about them recently? Yeah, because yeah, they're yeah. gorgeous. They're like because I discovered them. They're really simple. After you discovered them, after you already planted your flag. In well, them. we can't all get there first. 
But yeah, so if you if you are inter- interested in taking uh, boxing or kickboxing or already are involved in martial arts, uh, and you have and you are uh, female or have smaller hands, because I could like they're just beautiful. They're just simple and well designed gloves, and they're great. If you have smaller hands, Ko Studio, check them out. Heck yeah, yeah. Sponsor us, Ko. Studio. I would fucking love that. <laughs> um. Well, what what a joy. We got some ancient stories. We got some poison. Poison. Um. I love it. It's been a nice little, a nice little light, refreshing little history app. Yeah, we both talked about what we love: literature and poison. <laughs> Honestly, and literature. And my dog and kickboxing. And your dog and kickboxing. Literature and assassination. Assassination fascinates me. Like, yes. So we really did each kind of talk about what we love. I am also fascinated by like old bad science. So I had the time of my life. I mean, I think if we've learned anything, it's that old bad science is the equivalent of assassination. Yes. <laughs> no, it's the equivalent of like accidental suicide. Yes. Well, listeners, if you have any questions, corrections, or suggestions, keep them to yourself. No, I'm just kidding. Email them to us at sharedhistorypodcast at gmail.com. If you have any praises to sing us, post them as a review on Apple Podcasts or just send us a DM. Send us a note through that same email address. Do it. We love hearing from you. We'll post pictures um, on our social media. That's at sharedpod. Uh... And until next time, share you later.